My oldest son was um, 27 months old when Tom brought him to the hospital to meet his brand new little baby brother. And Luke was um, very happy to meet Joshi. He looked at him, and then he looked at me, and he said, Mommy, he's really cute. And then he said, you can put him back now. <laughs> Luke and Josh, I'm happy to say, are great friends now. But they were normal siblings. If Luke thought anything was wrong with Josh, if Josh was in danger in any way, Luke would have defended him to his death. But lots of times, Josh was an annoying little brother who usurped Luke's place in the family and meant that Luke would not have mommy and daddy completely to himself ever again. Our first story of brothers in the Bible takes Luke's sentiment and runs quite a bit with it. Adam and Eve have two children, and there seems to be some rivalry. Cain, the oldest, takes Abel into a field and kills him, and God asks Cain, where's your brother Abel? And Cain responds, I don't know. Like, how would I know? And then his infamous question, am I my brother's keeper? Clearly, Cain underestimates God. He doesn't seem to quite get who he's messing with. One of those, if only I'd known who was asking, I might have responded differently moments. And then God calmly replies, what have you done? Listen, your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. Cain's question reverberates through the ages. Am I my brother's keeper? And although most of us would answer yes without much consideration as we look around our world and at the suffering and inequities within our own country, it is clear that our resounding yes lacks a little punch. I wonder, looking at our world and our history, if maybe a more honest answer would be, heck no, I'm not my brother's keeper, or at the very least we might ask, what do you mean by brother? The very question that Jesus poses when he asks, who is our neighbor? I took comfort for some time when Dr. King said that the arc of the moral universe is long but it bends towards justice. I admit that this made me feel good. King's words gave me hope if Dr. King could say this. I was talking to one of my daughter-in-laws who is a young woman of color. One of the most thoughtful um, people I know, and by thoughtful, I don't just mean kind, though Mari is ridiculously kind, but thoughtful as in wrestling intellectually with our narratives as she makes sense and meaning of the world. And she said, Mom, 
I think Dr. King understood this as aspiration. As a white cisgendered woman with loads of privilege, I was happy thinking about a challenging world that ultimately bends towards justice. And so I paused when Mari said that. As I listen to Sarah this morning and the hardships that so many people face, the mental health crisis in our state with its continuous lack of funding, the number of unhoused and food insecure individuals and families, the crazy number of armed conflicts around the world, including the shattering devastation in Israel and Palestine, I am not sure about the arc of justice. I hear my brothers, my sisters, my siblings' blood crying out from the ground, and I wonder, when will it end? It seems we are not our brother's keepers. It seems to go against the grain of who we are. This is what I think. I think that there are some humans who are extraordinarily good, by which I mean they live out a resounding yes. I am my sibling's keeper. And I think there are some humans that are extraordinarily bad, and we might use language like narcissist or evil, people who are clearly their own keepers. But I think most of us live somewhere on that continuum, and we're probably impacted by different variables, how we're doing physically, emotionally, spiritually, and along with that, how much bandwidth we have at any given moment, how much do I love myself, how much trauma have I experienced, where I am on Maslow's needs, hierarchy of needs, presumably, the higher I am, the more bandwidth I have, the more place, the more of me there is to give. That said, Sarah is here this morning, and our hands-on faith effort happens because we do care about our brothers, our sisters, our siblings, around the world and at home. We are a community of educators, of social workers, of medical professionals. Our retirees work harder in retirement than they did when they were getting paid. But I think that God's question rings true to us today as much as it did millennia ago. The truth is it is hard to take care of ourselves and our families to find enough left over to practically and tangibly care for the world around us. The older I get, the more firmly I'm convinced that our primary call in life is to love ourselves well enough that we can generously and extravagantly love the world around us. Our goal is to answer God, yes, a hearty yes, I am my brother's keeper, my sisters, my siblings. I have three quick steps for us to become better keepers, better at loving our neighbor. Number one is face reality. I had a conversation recently with my friend Chris McMillan, who is one of our Sunday morning teachers and resident theologian. 
and I was lamenting the Israeli-Palestinian war, thinking about a prophecy, a biblical prophecy that seemed to be foretold millennia ago. So Abraham, according to scripture, has a son through Hagar, his slave, and Hagar becomes uh, the mother of Ishmael, who is believed to be the father of Arabs, Arab nations. And Abraham has another son through Sarah, Isaac, who, for the Judeo-Christian tradition, is believed to be the father of the Jewish people. And there's a scripture that says that these brothers will not get along. And over coffee, as I was saying this to Chris, and I was saying, Chris, how did they know? How did they know 3,000 years ago? Like, how could anybody know what it was going to look like in 2023 that there would be this ongoing enmity? And Chris said, brilliant person that he is, oh, 80, this story isn't about Isaac and Ishmael getting along. It's saying that no brothers get along. It's all through scripture. It's Cain killing Abel. It's Esau and Jacob. It's David and his brothers. It's Peter and John wanting to be the greatest. To be fair, we don't have many stories of women in the scripture, but we do have Rachel and Leah, two sisters, going to great crazy lengths for the love of a shared husband. Chris said, you know, 80, it's just hard for humans to get along. And that helped me. It helped me say that we humans have a hard time. We have limited resource with inequitable distribution. There will always be birth order difference, which has different meaning for different folks and different traditions. But for some of us, it can impact lots of things. We have different earnings different abilities, difference in privilege. It is hard to love our siblings when we are competing with them for limited resource. So we face reality knowing that we are often swimming upstream. Two, because of this, we regularly monitor how we're doing. I called a friend recently and I asked her, I said, Nicole, how are you doing? And she thought for a second, she said, I have no idea how I'm doing. I can tell you what I'm doing. I'm parenting two kids, I'm working full time, I'm trying to work out if I have a minute free, but on most days, it's a miracle if I know my name. Different seasons matter, having young kids is exhausting. Maybe just having kids is exhausting. Maybe just being in families can be exhausting. And then there is the rest of our lives. The important thing is checking in with ourselves, both so we can have realistic expectation of ourselves and so that we can make adjustments. So we're going to take just a moment before we wrap up. And we're just going to check in and just to see how am I doing? How am I doing physically? How am I doing mentally? Last week I got so overwhelmed reading the news that I was actually starting to feel ill and I realized I need to take a break from this. This isn't serving me at this moment. 
How are we doing emotionally? Are you grieving something? Are you nursing a low-level depression? Are you anxious? Maybe you're doing great. So we're just going to take a moment, close your eyes if you want, and just do one of those mindfulness check-ins with yourself and ask, how am I doing physically, emotionally, spiritually? I hesitate to end that. People look more relaxed than we have <laughs> since, the, since our toilet paper exercise. <laughs> and finally, number three, why I believe community, our community, this community matters when it comes to caring for others. I read a story uh, recently by a former evangelical. That's how she described herself. She wrote something that was interesting. She said, since I left my faith community, um, that she had no regrets. She said she stopped buying into um, a lot of the shared group think of her former community and felt free for the most part. She said, but what struck me is this. I feel free like I'm my own person, but I've lost much of my generosity I had before. The act of giving to a community, the act of participating in outreach either directly or indirectly as a member of a faith community stopped for me when I left my faith. I don't know why, it didn't have to, but it did for me. If you research benefits of community, you'll see things like sense of belonging, better health, more opportunities, empowerment, emotional support, safety and security. We know that not all communities are good, and not everyone experiences positive outcomes in every community, and that there are tons of different kinds of community. Lots of people build community around yoga or a book club. But I am eternally grateful for a space that has generosity built into its DNA, I am grateful for all the work that we've gotten to do with Sarah at Community and for all our other partnerships. I'm grateful that we can partner regularly with Becca Bender, with our local schools, that we can send relief to the Middle East, that we can help resettle refugees from Ukraine, that we can be responsive right away to natural disasters. We do all that. I am grateful that when I lose bandwidth, and I do, that you still have some, and that it's never down to one person. I'm grateful that we read books as small groups helping us make meaning of life in its various seasons, and on and on and on. I've personally found the crisis in the Middle East and the collateral damage around the world to be fairly unbearable. After October 6th, some of you know that Sanctuary invited other faith groups and we held a vigil outside Agud Achim, the synagogue just down the road that was deeply meaningful for them. And tonight, again, we will co-host a larger vigil with a number of other faith communities um, at Mercer Park, calling for the peace that we so badly need. All that to say that community 
helps us to experience the harder things in life and do so from a place of strength. And I am so grateful to call you all my community. Amen.